0: Love that line, Christ has defeated every sin, cast all your burdens now on him. There isn't anyone in here who didn't need to hear that this morning. What encouraging news we have in Christ, in the gospel, and and why we get to gather together and make much of him and, and rejoice in him and encourage each other is such a profound privilege and we get to do that more and more. If you have a Bible, please open your Bible to John chapter 15. We are into now week two of our summer series on one another, one another, cultivating a gospel community, seeing the, the work of the gospel transform our hearts, our lives, and our community together, our one anothering, if you will. Last week, we started with love one another as a part one. This week, it's part two of that loving one another. It's the one another that rules them all, it informs them all, it shapes them all, and so it's good for us to take time to This morning uh, and the start of this series to spend a couple of weeks on that big picture idea of love one another. One of the things that's important uh, that we said, an important distinction that we said last week, is that one another is not a commodity to consume, but a character to cultivate. It's not something that we come here and buy and have like you would if you went to Costco or Sam's Club or Target or whatever. It's, it's not about what you get or even what you give. It's about what we become. That Distinction is very important. We need to carry that with us through this series. Because at the heart of this call to one another is the call to love one another. To love one another. We saw in part one last week that our loving one is a reflection of what is most important. Today, we will consider the dynamic of our loving one another, one another Excuse me, from another vital passage in John, John chapter 15. So if you would, let's read verses 12 and 13. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13. This... Is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for giving to us all that we would ever need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who did for us what we could never do, to give to us what we could never gain. And God, I pray that as we come to this your word, that our hearts would be fixed on you, our affections would be toward you, that our thoughts would be of you, that that you would be glorified in our time together. So would you draw our, our thoughts and our hearts closer to you, closer together, as we consider this your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I started here a couple of summers ago, uh, summer of 2019, which was like 18 years ago, it feels like. Um, Not because of you all, but, you know, COVID, so I had a quick quick, quick qualification there. Um, That summer I said the greatest fruit medley that's ever been known to man is strawberries, red seedless grapes, and blueberries. You cannot top that. Some of you tried to tell me that you could, and I ignored you. (laughs) When I told you that that summer, it was... It, that dish showed up at all of our gatherings, and anytime our family went to your house, you made it. That was awesome. So I'm saying it again for that same thing to happen. <laughs> fruit is good, sweet. Fruit is so delicious, isn't it? Fruit is a good thing. When we have good fruit, we enjoy it, it's life giving. And our lives in Christ are to be the good fruit kind of lives. That sweetness, that joy, that when others share in that dish, they love it too. That they want more of that good fruit. And that the nature of our one another aspect of being the church is that we get the joy and privilege of being good fruit together. And that it would be a sweetness that we share together, and it's a sweetness that others who may be far from God get to come in and experience and say, this fruit is good. Our passage today is in John 15, and John 15 strikes at the heart of an incredible broader context in which Jesus says he is the vine, and we are the branches, and the branches are to produce good fruit. And chief among that fruit is that we would love one another, that we would love one another. And the dynamic of loving one another that we're going to consider together this morning uh, as sort of a, a building off of what we looked at last week in John 13, is that the dynamic of loving one another is first a culture of dependence. It happens when a church takes seriously depending on Jesus. From there, it becomes sacrificial in character. That our loving one another is depending on Jesus, and as we depend on Jesus, and as we make much of Jesus to each other, and as Jesus becomes a bigger deal in our heads and our hearts and our lives, then we start to reflect what we are seeing in Jesus, and that then becomes sacrificial love in character. And that culture of dependence that then brings about the fruit of the sacrificial love that we share together, all has this one directional aim, and that is glorifying God. That we are then seen in our dependence and in our sacrificial character, a glorifying God aim. That's where we're heading uh, together this morning. So first, culture of dependence. As you would maybe know or see or maybe are familiar with, John 15 is, is a famous chapter mainly because of the abiding in Christ description that Jesus talks through. In the context here we find vine and branches and bearing fruit. If you would just look back a few verses and we find in verses 4 and 5 these words, abide in me Jesus says and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Very foundational, very important, very crucial. And it just brings us to the reality that we have to depend on Jesus. Jesus has to be the main thing for us. If we want to go about loving one another as the Bible calls us to, then Jesus has got to be the main thing. That we are holding on to, clinging to, because that's what he says he is. That's what he says he is. When he says, I'm the vine, he's, he's drawing in a very deep, rich uh, biblical word picture. From the Old Testament, vine was the symbol of Israel, the people of God. And, and unfortunately, it was mostly associated with Israel failing to bear fruit or Israel producing rotten fruit they failed at being the people of God. And so Jesus comes, and, and hopefully by now in the, in the almost two years with me, that you know that we're going to get there. We're going to see how Jesus is fulfilling the things that we find in the Scriptures, that he's fulfilling these word pictures in the Bible. So Jesus arrives, and he does what, what the other vine couldn't do. He fulfills what Israel failed at. He is the life-giving vine. He is the true and greater vine that never fails. And we are now to remain in Him, cling to Him, depend on Him. Because, very important for us, is that no branch is self-sustaining. Every branch is totally reliant on the vine for life. That mindset, that, that shift in thinking and understanding is, has to take deep root in us if we want to go about loving one another. Branches, us, you, me, we get our lives, our life from the vine, Jesus. And the vine brings forth its fruit through the branches. Get that. Jesus wants to bear good fruit in and through your life. You. Yes, you. Sitting in this room or watching online in, in your home or wherever you might be. Yes, you. You're not insignificant. You're quite significant to Jesus. He wants to, to bear good fruit in and through your life. Kind of fruit that is sweet and delicious and joy-producing. As we think about this, as we wrestle with that, when we see that there's some two realities that just come flooding straight to the top. One, we can't produce fruit on our own. Two, Jesus is fully sufficient to produce fruit in us. We can't do it. Jesus fully sufficiently can. And these two realities compel us to be a dependent people, to be a a Jesus-oriented people, a trusting in that all that God has provided for us through Christ. People, That there would be a culture of dependence on all that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, accessible to us through the gospel. Because without it, there would be very little loving one another. If you take away a culture of dependence, the sacrificial nature of love one another isn't just going to happen. We're going to reflect that which we hold most important, as we considered last week. And so I'm pleading with all of us, with my own heart, that can be stubborn and stupid, that Jesus needs to be that which is most important, so that we can get going reflecting Him. How how do we then see a culture of dependence take shape in the life of our church, in our lives as people, but then as a church? Well, there are two things. It needs to be saturated in prayer, and it needs to be saturated with the Word. It needs to be saturated in prayer together, and it needs to be saturated in the Word together. The more we see in the pages of Scripture how amazing God is to us through Christ, made available to us through the Gospel because of the nature of His grace, the more overwhelming it is for our heads and our hearts, the more transformation it brings in us that we become more dependent on God, and therefore prayer becomes the more natural impulse of us as we're seeing how amazing God is. And if we just sort of sidecut that whole process and we just do half-hearted prayer, half-hearted attempts at the Word, we're going to get a half-hearted love amongst us as a church. Looking back in John 15, he says it all wrapped up in one verse, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, we need to be saturated with the Word. Ask prayer, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Christ is calling us to this life of dependence on Him, and He's saying, bank on me, trust in me, look to me. I have enough. I am enough. I don't run dry. And so at the base of our life as a church is a collective We Need Jesus dependence to mark our culture and as we do that the more we realize our need for Jesus and the more we realize his sufficiency to meet that need the more fruit of loving one another is produced the more we see how awesome Jesus is the more it changes us individually and collectively and the more good fruit we get to enjoy that means our attitudes about and toward one another are going to be transformed the more we understand the vine and the branches. Crucial. The kind of love one another that we're called to happens out of a culture of dependence on Jesus. And that leads us then to see that it is sacrificial in character. Our loving one another is sacrificial in character. If we're going to be reflecting that which we see in Jesus, then our care and our love and our attentions with each other are going to be sacrificial. That is, we live out of what we have received. We live out of what we have received. You can't give what you don't have or at least have experienced. So the more we grasp what we have in Christ, the more it changes us and is reflected from us let's go back to our verse 12 jesus speaking he says this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you that you love one another as i have loved you and so he's loved them really well over the course of his time with them as he's speaking to his disciples but he has in view what's coming next This is on the night that he would be betrayed and what comes next is death. Death in their place. Death in their place that brings about their salvation and redemption and rescue. So he's not just talking about how he loved them in this life, but he's also in mind, in view, he knows what's coming next and that's exactly what he alludes to in verse 13. If you would look there. Greater love has no one than this. Let someone lay down his life for his friends. This is anticipating the cross. Anticipating the Son of God who took on humanity and lived a life that we could not live, to die a death that we deserved, to give us something we could never earn, to take us to a place we could never go. He did all of that so that we could be declared right with God, even though there's nothing right about us that he did all that, not just that we could be declared right with God, but brought into the family of God, that we go from being an orphan to a treasured son and precious daughter. He did all of that fully and sufficiently. And he doesn't do 97% of it and say, you have 3% on the hook. No, he did it all. He took it all on the cross. He despised its shame, the shame of our sin. And he Heaped it onto his shoulders that were beaten and broken and bloody and he went to a cross and there he paid it in full, nailing it to the cross and you bear it no more. He did that. He lived a life perfect. He was tempted in every way but yet was without sin. He faced it all. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast now all your burdens on him. Sacrificial. Christ's love was purposeful. It wasn't accidental and it wasn't passive. He showed up with great intentions. He showed up with hostile intentions to defeat sin, death, and Satan. And he did so selflessly, self-giving, purposeful, intentional. He lays down his life. The more we behold that, the more that transforms our heads and our hearts and our lives, the more that sort of character, that sacrificial character of love shows up in our love of one another. Think of First John 3.16. It's the other John 3.16. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say that here. I like this one a little bit better than the other one. First John 3.16 says this, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see what's, what's happening here? The, the nature of our loving one another is directly linked and tied to the nature of Christ loving us. So the character of Christ gets formed in us as a church. Church. And it starts to get experienced in our lives together. And that's compelling. That's incredible. That's good fruit that we share in. It's attractive to those who are weak and wobbly and and hurting and longing. Or take Romans 5.8. Another one of those verses that are incredibly compelling. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The nature of Christ's love has an impact on the nature of our love. And our loving one another is to follow in character and kind. Now, if there were only somewhere in the Bible a passage that could give us some tangible expressions of this sort of sacrificial love, if only we had something that could give us some concrete street level, curb level, everyday kind of life moments, like if only, oh wait, we do. Now I know we sometimes hear this, we'll hear this every Saturday from mid-May through, you know, probably mid-September, or actually in New England, probably mid-October, but it's First Corinthians 13. We We hear it in that esoteric, ethereal, romantic sort of love one another that we are rejoicing alongside this new husband and new wife that's awesome but in its context it's actually talking about the the kind of love that we are to be experiencing together as a church now that doesn't mean we shouldn't read it at your weddings please read it at your weddings i'm not that much of a curmudgeon yet But let's read this and think about this as describing the very gritty street level, curb level, all the way down to the everydayness of life together as a church. Put that context in your mind. Take the beautiful bride and the cleaned up groom out of the picture for a moment. Love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When you think about that as the way we interact and spend our lives together as a church family, doesn't that carry with it a little bit more grit? Doesn't that feel like it sinks down a little bit further into our lives? It's not just this beautiful, like, Instagram-worthy picture moment. It's like the nitty-gritty stuff. Think about what sacrificial love is from this passage. It is patient. It is kind. It rejoices with truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, it endures all things. That upward and outward dynamic of loving in that way. Every day, every week, as a church family. I think also now what it doesn't do. Sacrificial love doesn't envy or boast. It doesn't get proud or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Oof. That one gets the rip all the other ones okay sure but then that one oof, doesn't insist on its own way and then doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing listen to that a culture of dependence on jesus produces the fruit of sacrificial love in jesus or in sacrificial love in our lives as we are beholding jesus and if we just kept First Corinthians 13 in view, that's the sort of love that is to mark our fellowship together. Now, that dependence and that sacrificial character all are moving somewhere. They all have a trajectory. It's, it's not just aimless. It's actually very targeted. Depending on Jesus and reflecting Him in the way we love each other, all happen not for our own good, though that's good. It all happens ultimately for the glory of God, that its aim is the glory of God, that we love one another to the glory of God, that the goal of the fruit of loving one another carries with it an incredible motivator, and that being the glory of God. And there are two verses that help us see this in our immediate context The situate, the aim of our loving one another on the glorifying of God. First is in verse 8, if you would look there. John 15, verse 8. By this, so Jesus' instruction about the vine and the branches and the producing fruit and the following after him and dependence on him. By this, our culture of dependence and our sacrificial in character love, my Father is glorified. How you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The trajectory and aim of depending on Jesus and reflecting Him in the way that we love each other is to bring God glory. It's not actually even to boast about how awesome and loving our church is. It's great to be able to say that, yes. But the ultimate aim is to say, Jesus is awesome. We're going to hold on to Him as He holds on to us. And we're going to love one another as we see in the person and work of Christ because God is worth all the glory. The other verse that deposits that idea into our hearts but then carries with it something that you and I get to experience is verse 11. Look at this. This is amazing. These things. Jesus just was explaining to them, vine and branches and fruit and love one another in God's glory. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I maybe you don't see it right at, right at the first glance, but let's take into consideration this. One thing is the source and goal of love is God. God is the source of love. We experience it through Christ and the gospel. And the goal of that is to bring God glory. So God is the source of love and God is the goal of love and that he gets glory. In the midst of that, this sort of God-centeredness, this sort of God-dependence that continually reels our hearts in to see that he is worth it brings to us the greatest joy we could know. And that is the greatest joy is found in living for God's glory. The joy that we can experience together is to be so committed to God and following after Him that we realize that His glory and our joy are not distant, polarized ends. That in fact, our joy massively increases as God massively increases as the main thing in our lives as a church. And this whole experience of God's love to us in Christ brings about to us a redemption and transformation that changes how we live out our lives. That we begin living out how we've been loved. And this brings a profound joy all to the glory of God. So would it make sense to live in contrary to such a love. Would it make sense to live in an antithetical way to the kind of love that we have received? And doesn't the source of love and the goal of love and the experience of love make the sacrificial character of loving one another not really that much of a sacrifice when you think about it? And how compelling would it be? How compelling would it be to those who do not feel loved, to those who haven't experienced all that much love, to those longing for love, if they connected with a church body that was growing at loving one another just as we've considered together. I'm confident that that would be very, very compelling. We can lay down our self interest. When we see and understand and experience the love of God for us in Christ. And as we look into Christ, we find in Him we have a love far greater than we dare to dream. In Christ, we are able to love sacrificially and with great joy. And in Christ, we're able to do this all for His glory. So let us then commit to loving one another and so dig into the rest of these one another's that we're going to consider this summer. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would help us to see the scope of your love on display through Jesus, that it would bring profound joy to our hearts and lives, and that we would not only be filled with awe and wonder, but, but with determination and dependence to live out this what we have received. And may we, Trinity Baptist Church here in Nashua, New Hampshire, be a church family that grows at loving one another from a culture of dependence on you with a love that is sacrificial in character. And God, may you be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.